This is Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, diamond, diamond. Experience! Welcome to another episode of the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. I am your host, Derek Diamond. And if you haven't yet, be sure to check out last week's episode where I list my and your top five movie posters. Always fun to do the top five list. And I already got a a cool idea courtesy of uh, one of the listeners, Wade Vatican, that we'll be doing uh, at the end of April. So uh, be sure to check out that uh, in the coming weeks. But for this week's episode... I'm chatting with filmmaker Lee Chambers, and I found Lee's information on a website that I've been using periodically called podcastguest.com, and I was instantly drawn into his story because he's been making movies since the 90s, and I always love talking with filmmakers that have been in the industry or making films for an extended period of time because they've seen the evolution of the film industry going from film to digital and especially as you know an aspiring director and having directed a couple of shorts myself it was really cool to pick his brain about the directing process and got some really good advice from him and uh, so much so that we're actually going to have him back on the show um, sometime hopefully in the next few weeks before the show goes uh, on break for the summer so if you're an aspiring director or just an aspiring filmmaker in general this will be a great conversation for you to hear So without further ado, here is my conversation with Lee Chambers. Here with my very special guest this week, filmmaker Lee Chambers. Lee, how are you, sir? I'm uh, doing fantastic. I love being called a special guest when you've done 350 shows with a ton of special guests. So I'm very humbled to be here with you today. No, I appreciate it. You know, and I, I found your, um, I believe it was podcastguest.com is where I found you, which is a, a resource that I've used periodically. And I, I found your, your story and thought you'd be a great guest to have on the show. And, you know, I love talking movies. So really, really excited for you to to take the time to do it. Well, fantastic. Yeah, I do a, a podcast too called Filmmaker GPS. I'm not as successful as you, um, but I'm, it's not like I'm pushing it too hard. But I do, I have had some uh, some pretty interesting guests. I did it, uh, I've only done 12 episodes to your 350. Um, but uh, again, talking movies, whether it's just about movies in general or uh, or actually making movies uh, that's obviously not only is it my uh, not only is it my uh, passion uh, and, and it's also my hobby and it's also everything you know you wake up and it's movies and it's it's telling stories and being entertaining and and uh, all the, the the laughs the scares the all the things why we watch movies in the first place absolutely and I wanted to start with asking you your story because there's not like a how-to guidebook on how to get into filmmaking. Everybody has their own unique way to do it or how they've gotten into it. So what made you want to get into filmmaking in the first place? 
I've always been a storyteller, right? So, you know, as a kid, when you run around and you play with to- with toys, I mean, I was the perfect age when Star Wars came out to to get into the toys and you you buy all the action figures and you run around in the sand sandbox and you play with them and in a way you're telling you're 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 finding a story and telling a story and recreating a story as a as a as a child and I've always um aspired to that and and uh in different ways and I think everybody I think deep down we're all storytellers just some of us gravitate to, uh, towards ways of monetizing it or finding ways to actually uh, make it work so you can learn all the tools and you can learn all the you know how to use a camera and how to use lights and 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 all that kind of stuff but deep down we we are storytellers right back to when we would uh we would paint in caves right um we would want to somehow um share um a little bit of our humanity with one another and and uh, and inspire some kind of reaction so I guess, geez, deep down, I think when you know it, I mean, I remember the first film set that I was on that I directed, um, I think it was 1996 when I was in film school, my thesis film in film school in Leeds, England. Um, I remember being on the set and I was surrounded by, you know, 20 other like-minded folks and uh, I was, I'm directing this movie and the first time it's not just a little video camera with my, just me and my couple friends now it's a big deal there's a, an actual film camera there's uh, actors who are actually in television at the time that i'm i'm directing for the first time and 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 i took a moment almost like an out-of-body experience where i remember just everything slowed down and i i watched there was a scene going on in front of me where actors are are saying the lines of dialogue and everybody's doing their part on the on the in the cast and crew and everything slowed down and and I just thought to myself, wow, it's happening. This is real. Like I'm directing and I can't do anything else. Like people will ask you, what's your, what's your backup plan? What are you going to do as a backup plan? And there's no backup plan. Um, I have to tell stories and I have to enjoy the process of, of, of the journey of going through and making movies. Um, I mean, we always have to do things to put uh, food on the, on, on the, on the plate and to pay the bills and, whatnot but no matter what i've done whether it's making a movie or doing other things i'm always fine being creative and and finding a way to do something whether it's create a a social media post or um you know creating a movie or writing a script or writing a short story it's 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 always about um uh, how do i uh, again how do i how do i inspire somebody or, or entertain somebody how can i tell a certain moral tale that uh, that will make somebody think a little bit about their lives and or how can I uh, how can I make somebody you know you know you use a lot of well what's funny is a, a lot of times it's you know there's different reasons why do people do make movies um somebody actually at a at a Q&A session once said I notice a theme they showed four of my short films all in one go and they said what's the, what's the theme and someone said yeah um uh, you kill a lot of people um and so <laughs> does that make me stable I don't know um you know because you know we 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 create stories that are fantastic and uh and 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 uh you know there's there's different kinds of filmmaking you know and i i tend to make things that are um i don't know i think grounded in humanity but then it's the extremes of what if and what if this goes wrong 
uh, which a lot of storytellers do. Because I'll watch a movie, and usually within 10 minutes in, the hero of the of the movie has a choice to make, uh, to go on the journey or not. And I always think to myself, uh, nope, they don't accept end the credits. It's over. Like every movie could be a te- every movie could be a ten minute movie where the hero decides not to take that journey, not to rob the bank, not to go save the the woman in distress, whatever that whatever the issue is. And so, it's uh, it's kind of fun being a, a storyteller where where you can push a character into a situation that can be extreme and then wonder how you would a normal, how would you deal with it? You know, would you, would you be a hero or would you be a villain in a a certain situation? That's a long winded question. I kind of rambled and went off into all sorts of tangents for you to think about. No, it's all good. It's funny. You mentioning the, the hero making the choice to not, you know, save the the bank or whatever the case may be. It makes me think of those memes I've been seeing of star Wars where it's like, you know, one of the characters makes a logical choice. And then the final slide is written and directed by George Lucas. So it's, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's all about the choices that, that the hero makes. And I'm with you in the sense that I've kind of learned that, you know, and I've, I've only made two shorts, but I've worked on a couple of other ones as well. And I feel like that's kind of my wheelhouse is telling stories that are grounded in reality that can make you think you know, Mm -hmm. about, about choices, you know, that what if you had made a different choice, you know, years ago, where would your life be? Stuff like that. So it, it really is, you know, and anyone who's listening to this, that wants to be a filmmaker, that is part of the journey is finding your voice and finding the stories that you're good at telling, you know, you should try different things, but what I think once you find what you're good at, that's that's what you should stick with. But I, I did want to ask you because you mentioned you went to, to to school in England. Why England? Uh, well, you know what? I, my my I was born and raised in Canada, but my uh, my my family is from uh, the uh, Yorkshire area and West Yorkshire area in England. And uh, in my in the nineties, I uh, found out that I could get a British passport, and they said, "Yep, you you can get a passport, and you can be a British citizen." And I and I did it, and I went and backpacked around Europe, and I decided to stay for a bit, and I thought, "Well, I'll stay for six months." Well, it went on for years, and uh, I at that point, I, I you know I have a background in advertising, art, and graphic design. I went to college in Canada, and and I finished. And when I finished doing college, I. Uh, I, I realized that, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't really have, I didn't really think I had access to being a filmmaker. You know, you, everyone thinks you go to go to Hollywood, you got to be a filmmaker. And at that time, if you wanted to make a film, it had to be on film, right? It was a very expensive medium. And, you know, nowadays everybody can grab a, a phone and become a, a, a filmmaker. So, uh, you know, the, back in the nineties, it was like, you know, how can I do it? And I was in England um, and I walked past uh, Leeds Metropolitan University, which is now Leeds Beckett University. And they, there was a sign for a film school. And I, I just walked in the door and just said, really, I can do this. And, and, and I did. And so I, you know, and I was really lucky because some of the other film students that were there was a very small film school, but they worked with, they, they shot on super 16 mil film and we um, made some really good stuff. They had a broadcast deal with Yorkshire Television to actually screen the films on TV when you were done. Um, and the cinematographer that I work with 
um, uh, a guy named Mark Stewart had, um, he had about 12, 15 years of experience already as a cinematographer, but it was all in uh, animation, like nonstop stop motion animation. And he was trying to get into live action uh, work. And he, everybody said, Mark, you're, you know, I know you understand the camera, but, you know, stick to the big sets and actors, leave that to the real cinematographers. You stick to your little models and stuff like that. And he was doing like things like Wallace and Gromit and things like that, which, you know, some very well-known stuff and, and at the time. And uh, he went to the film school primarily because uh, it was like going to the casino. He he plopped his money down for for his tuition, and he got a chance to shoot three or four films that had budgets. Um, the school, because they had a broadcast deal, actually had a, a budget. So uh, he was the first guy who I worked with as a cinematographer. And so here's a guy who's got 12, 15 years of experience. And the year before he went to film school with me, he had two films up for the Academy Awards for Best Animated Short Film. Wow. And didn't win, but two out of five films you were the cinematographer for. So my learning curve just went like, right? Because I got this guy who's, he's he's going to film school to transition from from one area to another area and to prove that he can handle sets and, and actors and bigger sets. And, uh, and, and so I was surrounded by really good people. Um, and it, I learned a lot. And that's one of the big pieces of advice I would give anyone listening who wants to make movies is, um, you know, you can, you can, you can get together with your buddies and you can make a movie and you can, but you sometimes you fumble along and you make lots of mistakes as you go along. And if you can find somebody to be a mentor or somebody who's done it before, um, who can tell you the advice for how to do things in a better way or or in the way that it's the industry standard way of doing something that will save you time, ensure less mistakes, uh, hopefully improve the quality of your work, take it. You know, uh, for 15 years, I, I taught at a practical film school. So I kind of oversaw, I don't know, 3,000 short films of, of, of a wide uh, range of quality. A lot of them are crappy. <laughs> and and they're because they're just learning and 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 but there's some that are absolute gems and and amazing and it was always fantastic in a two-year film program to see how people mature and grow even in two years when you show them how to use the pencil or the computer or the typewriter because a lot of the tools are just tools right so you know uh, i can give you a paintbrush and go hey derek go and paint this picture but um, what really counts is what's in here, what's in your head, you, the ideas that you have and your ability to listen to advice and suggestions and to train um, and to, you know, you know, when you look at anybody at the Olympics, that usually the difference between gold and fourth place is the person uh, that got the gold, spent a little bit more time at the track, a little bit more time in the pool. They just wanted it more and they act, but they took the advice of trainers and they worked harder for it. And so uh, sometimes my film students didn't take the advice and sometimes they did. And so I learned a lot early in England, working with, with good actors and, um, and good camera people and good technician, technical people. And then it basically just in your, everything else that I do move forward, uh, I expect uh, I expect my cast and crew to be top notch. I expect everyone to to put in their hundred percent. 
And that that's not too dissimilar from you know my philosophy as well because I didn't go to film school. I just kind of wanted to do it, and I ended up falling in love with it. But that is what you should do: is you should find surround yourself with people who are more experienced and, quite frankly, are better than you at what you're trying to do because that's how you become better. And because I've met so many people that, like you mentioned, some of your students that. You know, they think they know everything, so they don't take any advice and they usually fall flat on their face. And sometimes that's half the fun is that that's how you learn is by screwing up, you know, because then you know how not to how not to do it again. Um, As someone you said, you made your uh, you directed your first uh, film, your thesis film in 96. Were you nervous at all when you did that? Oh, of course. And, and who wouldn't be? I mean, like I say, pr- prior to that, it was uh, a camera that we borrowed from our, our local library where you rent it for a weekend. And it's just a video camera. You turn it on, you just shoot. You don't, you know, I'm not worrying about uh, the technically how it works, but you get a picture when you play it back on your TV. And then suddenly you're trying to demystify the whole process. The I'm shooting on a 16 mil camera, but I'm recording the sound on another device. How do they get together? How does this work? And and, you know, it was not only was it shot on 16 millimeter, super 16, it was actually edited on a steam back. So it was actually edited on wow. film as well. So, uh, and I was right at that edge where things started changing into nonlinear editing. So uh, one film I made was, was shot, uh, shot and edited the old fashioned way. And the, the next one was suddenly I'm into nonlinear editing and, and it just changed the whole, the whole world. But yeah, of course, very nervous. And, and I was, so one of the things that I, I learned to do was, I, I literally dreamt and planned and planned and planned. And I, and I started thinking every scenario and I created, um, you know, for the, I had like a 10 page short film script and uh, I basically drew a floor plan for every shot and uh, where I thought the camera should be roughly and what, and then a storyboard. And, and um, I've had them all together in a, in a pile and I, got together with my I had, luckily I had a real the really good cinematographer but I also had a really good everyone else was fantastic but a really good um first AD and we were going to shoot important. over right and we were going to shoot over 4 days and they basically took my you know my 40 pages or 50 pages of shots that I wanted to try to get and and we were shooting on the top of a building and they realized this is where I started realizing the complexities of it is that um we're trying to shoot a film that takes place in one day over four days. And so you have the sun going across the sky all the time. So we can't shoot it in order. We have to shoot it all out of order and out of whack and then bring up a, a, you know, uh, some lights to replicate the sun to make sure the shadows are always right. And and we shuffle things into the, into the right order. And it was, uh, I literally, I remember it, it was just, watching them go through this process about how they decide when to shoot. I'm like, they would just tell me we're shooting, you know, scene five, you know, shot six now. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how you decided that, but it, it, it put me in a, uh, I learned a lot about being a director in that the director has to find a way to work with the actors to maintain a level of performance when you're jumping all over the place. So, okay, this is a scene, you know, after you found out your daughter died. And, and so, and then, and then later we're going to do the scene before she's dead. And so the actor's going through this wide range of emotions 
and it's all over the place. And then eventually, you know, the editor gets it and puts it into the right order. And if you make the wrong decisions with actors and the actors are there to trust you. So if you, you don't, you're not on top of it with the actor's journey. Um, it's a mess, right? Because you have actors who are like, why is he not worried? Why is he not freaking out? His daughter just died. And you're like, shit, I just did the wrong emotion at the wrong time because I got sidetracked with other things. So I learned a lot about that, that, that part of it for sure. And one of the things that I picked when I did film school, it was, a, it was, we didn't write our own scripts. So there was a master's program that, that we're a screenwriting program where they rent, they wrote scripts prior to us. When I showed up, they just handed like 30 scripts in our faces and said, here, we're going to make six of these. And it was fun in that process because they, we read all the scripts and then we were supposed to like work on who's going to make what, whatever. And I picked a, a, this film called On the Roof about a, about a bank robber who robs his own bank. And then as he's escaping, ends up on the roof. And then he confronts a guy who's bored with his life, who, 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 who sits on the top of buildings. And so they have this, uh, they have this relationship where they kind of, you know, what's, what's the meaning of life and what, you know, how do you keep, life interesting and whatever and so it was i thought it was a very well written script that i thought it was very funny and it was a very you know telling and and um and moving kind of story nobody wanted to make it at my film school because they did it they thought it was too wordy there's a lot of dialogue in it. and they they said well there's no there's no fancy shots there's no i can't use a crane and i can't do underwater shots and there's no explosion and uh it and at the end of the day, uh, I kind of lost out. Nobody wanted to do it at first. And then a script editor from the BBC came in to work with us and he flipped through the box of scripts. And uh, he said, I'm really surprised that nobody, nobody picked on the roof because it's the best script in the box. This is out of all the scripts, this is the best one. And I'm like, I told you, I knew that was the one to pick. And um, literally from that, um, one of the members of the panel, when we were pitching them said, uh, if you, it sounds like you have vision for this, you, you, you noticed that this is a good script. And so she said, if you want to, if you want to direct it, I'll, I'll produce it for you. And, uh, so that's why I sort of got my chance. So it was uh, it, very early. I had, I, I think I had a, an ability to be able to see what was, what works as a story, um, even for something I didn't write, it was just being able to read it and go, these characters feel alive. I, I identify with them. I have an empathy for them. And so uh, this, this would make, you know, if it's done right, it would make interesting entertainment. Now, just saying all that, we were all worried about the sun over four days, but the first day was beautiful, sunny. Everyone got sunburned on the back of their necks. And then, of course, it's England. So what happens on day two? Cloudy. Day three, cloudy, rainy. And so this whole sun thing went out the window. And by day four, our last day, it was almost like hail. It was miserable. The film actually looks horrible in many ways because the continuity is all out the window. Nowadays, you'd shoot on a green screen and it would look fantastic and you'd be able to control it. But the experience of making that and going through that whole process, you know, uh, Every filmmaker needs to go go through a, a, a process like that, and you need to have the ups and downs. It is, like I say, it is a journey, right? So it's not a destination. It's a journey. Yeah, it's almost like trial by fire to a degree. Like you can you can learn all about it in school or, you know, these days you can do master classes or other online classes, but physically doing it is a whole different thing. 
And you know, now that I've experienced that a couple of times, I I understand that. Yeah, you know, when you're looking at uh, spending, you know, 12, 14 hours a, a day where, especially as a director, because like a director has to be on it. You know, at the end of when I was, I, I shot a feature film and I remember at the end of the day, um, you know, some of the camera guys and girls would, they, they'd say, Hey, we're, we, we wrap for the day and come up for a beer. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like my brain is still buzzing and thinking about what I need to do tomorrow. Like I can't stop. I mean, you can stop, uh, like for example, like a cameraman would be a cameraman worries about the shot, making the shot that you want look great. Meanwhile, the director is thinking about, will this shot, how important is it to the editor that I have this shot? I now need to be thinking like all the actors in it. So a director needs to be an actor because they need to be able to get themselves in the same emotion as the actor. So it's funny. So you have, uh, you know, uh, a cinematographer is the director really is trying to anticipate everybody's needs. And so you're at, you're answering 10,000 questions an hour from everybody to give them your vision for what you want. And, and they're then running around trying to make it happen for you. And if you make, poor decisions along the way that's where it all goes to hell i mean when when you watch most films i think nobody i think goes into into making a film to make it crappy but we know what it's like you know when there's you don't movies you don't like and and nobody i think goes into that and you might say well you know i like the movie but they really miscast this character that character i just didn't like the camera work or I didn't like the score was horrible or the production design looks horrible. And one of the big complaints I used to have about student films was they, a student would actually have a good script and thinking, great. And then you at least have a, the starting blueprint. You have the, the basis nucleus of what you really need to start with, which is a decent story. And, but because they're usually not proficient yet, or is 80% of it would be great in terms of they'd get this great location. And then, there'd be a shot in their dorm room with a white wall behind them and nothing. And I'm thinking it's suddenly, it looked like a really good movie until you ran out of steam, just decided to shoot in your dorm room with a white concrete wall behind you. And it just looks now it looks like a student film. Uh, and so I always say that, you know, what's the most important about thing about making a film? Well, you need a really good script, obviously. And then you need good sound and you need good picture and you need good production design and you need good acting. And the problem is you need, hundred percent in all of those things, like one thing drops too low and it drags everything down, pulls the audience out of that, their, their, their feeling as they're watching the movie when something just doesn't feel like it's working. Right. And then suddenly it's like a, it's a, it, the movies, eh, it's all right. Right. And then you don't remember it a week later because, um, because something, because whatever the sound bothered you or the picture, the actor bothered you or, or there was something else going on. So, so yeah, I was, you know, if, if you're not nervous directing a movie, I still get nervous directing a movie because, because I, you know, I believe in it so passionately. I believe in trying to get this done and, and there's nothing actually. And when I, when I, I directed a movie called the Pineville Heist, which is on Amazon prime and we shot for like 24 days or whatever, 25 days. And I was more nervous in the last couple of days because I'm thinking to myself, we're this close to finishing. What if it all goes to hell now, <laughs> right? Um, what if something we don't finish, get all the shots we need to get done, and then I never finish this movie? And that happens to a lot of people where they, when, especially when they're low budget, they don't, they, they kind of run out of steam. You know what I mean? Well, it's one of those things that, you know, like you said, shooting for 
for weeks on end, you, you want to finish strong because it's like you can, in a lot of things, you can kind of slow down a bit when you're close to the end. But no, you, you want to you wanna finish strong and like you said, make sure everything is 100% because it's so important from picture quality to sound to production design. And I use this analogy a lot that a film is like a machine and all the different departments are cogs in the machine. If one of them stops working, it screws everything else up. I've heard you say that, Derek. And it's really, <laughs> I think you probably want to attend one of my classes. You're right. It's like, it, it is a military pre precision, right? If all of these, if one of the cogs doesn't turn properly, then it, it messes up everything. And I used to, one of the things I used to do is I used to, I used to take a, a triangle and go, okay, so what is what a triangle? And when you look at the top of a triangle, that's, you know, the director and producer are, are at the top, they control everything. And then, and then the hierarchy goes down. And so what's at the bottom of the triangle, you know, there's all these people, you know, a runner, right. A production assistant is at the bottom of the, the triangle, but I turn the triangle upside down and I say, well, I know the director is this all important person and everybody's like bowing down to, Oh, here's the director. They're so powerful. But in the middle of the shoot, when a, a gaffer says quick, uh, looks at a runner and says, can you go to the back of the, 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 the lighting truck and get me uh, an Apple box? And uh, the runner, you know, goes and gets the Apple box. At that point, the runner is the most important person on the set because nothing's happening. We're not turning over the camera. We're not shooting anything. And so at that point, everybody is sitting around waiting for the runner to complete their task so that they can continue. That's why they call it a runner, like go, <laughs> right? At this point, we need you to run, go get it and come back because every second that you're gone, we're not shooting. And so it was really important. And I, I listened to your, your the podcast you did with Eric Roberts. Um, and it was interesting because he talked, he would sounded like such a humble guy and about, about his career. And he, and it was great about, about be, you know, be treating people with respect and dignity, no matter whether the the, the talent, right? They're, they've got the trailer and they've got all, they're getting all the money and the big bucks or whether they're a runner, um, you never know who on the way up and you're going to meet on the way down. And so um, big, another big piece of advice is just to be, be kind to people and be humble and be thankful uh, to people. I had a friend of mine who said they, he worked with, um, he worked on a, 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 some, um, big movies with um, oh, I'm gonna forget his name now. But he worked in a movie with with an actor, and and he said he used to buy lottery tickets for 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 the cast and crew and stuff like that, and uh, all these little things where it's like you know they're getting he's getting hundreds of thousands of dollars, so you know he spends three hundred dollars and he buys a lottery ticket and gives. And he, but he made a point of going around and handing handing over um um. Uh, oh, Hugh Jackman, I think it was it's Hugh Jackman. Yeah, and he was basically would like, hey, good work. He would like, you know, good work today. You know, I appreciate you. You made sure I look good, and so here. And he would hand a lottery ticket, and I actually took that on board uh, on mine on my set a couple of times, where it's like, you know, buying beers for the casting crew and buying a, a a lottery ticket for everybody, and and uh, and you know, hey, if you get a winner, great, but. Is just a nice thing to do for people because especially on low budget stuff, a lot of times people are working for next to nothing, right? The pure love and passion of it, the, the ability to have a credit and an experience on, on, on a movie, um, just to be thankful 
for what they've done is uh, for their, their time. And it could be as simple as simple things. You know, I shot a short film once where somebody's job for a whole day was standing at the bottom of a hill out of sight, directing traffic. So they didn't come through the set. And I remember uh, halfway through the day, I sent another PA down. I said, can you go down and see if somebody can like go rep- give John a break. He's been down there all day with his high visibility vest. Give him a break. Poor guy's been working. And the runner came back two minutes later and goes, now he's happy. He doesn't, he's good. I'm thinking, really? Oh. And then after the shoot, after the shoot, I'm like, dude, you were a trooper. Like if you're willing to work all day long and do this job, which would be considered the worst, crappiest job on a film set with a smile on your face, you're the kind of guy I want on all my sets. And I wouldn't want you doing the same thing again. I'd want to elevate you up. I want to say you're rewarded. I want you to do this now. I need, if you, but sometimes young filmmakers, I think they, they think, well, I, you know, I'm not doing that. Right. I'm yeah, not no, doing if, that. Yeah. No, you can have the most talented person in the world, but if they have a terrible attitude, you want nothing to do with them. Like the, the person you mentioned that was directing traffic, I'd want 30 of those types of people on all sets that I work on because that kind of attitude that that's incredible. Yeah. I worked on one in, in Australia, a feature film. I was an associate producer on it. So I was, I wasn't, I didn't have like a, a small job. I, you know, I was an associate producer on it. I had, but I was on set all day long. And I remember one day the producer said, Hey, look, the, one of our uh, PAs got stuck in traffic. They can't be they're They're, you know, whatever an accident happened, they couldn't get in. And they're like, we were a person down. Can you go, and just stand and hold a light in the wood, in the forest away from the set for like an hour. Um, and I'm like, sure. And so what's funny is like, you know, I'm, I'm not a runner. I'm like higher up there, but I'm like, whatever you need. And I remember going out and standing in basically in the dark as this big light way up in the sky is shining into the forest. And I'm just standing there um, doing it. And I'm like, and I thought to myself, <laughs> and I'm on a beach near near the woods in australia going i'm making movies this is this is this is exciting i was so excited that i got a chance i'm doing something and it's being productive in actual fact in that case the weirdest thing happened was while i was there it's like well some people go well what do you need sandbagged it's all good what do you need to be there for it i mean why do you need someone there to hold be there with the light um the light actually exploded so I can hear in the radio, the DP going, what happened to the light? And then there's flames coming out of it. And I'm like, shit. So I actually, because I was there, I had to lower the light down a little bit away from the branches. And then I carried, took took the sandbags off, carried the light out while it's flaming into the parking lot and then laid it down in the parking lot where it wasn't going to like cause a forest fire. And it was like, okay, that's why we have from a safety point of view, somebody there to hold the light, to be there just in case. So it was a perfect example of, uh, you know, uh, of covering yourself from a safety point of view and just, you know, what could go wrong? Well, you know, what happens if the light falls over? What if it bursts into flames? And, and you know, 99 times out of 100, it's not going to. But I happen to be there the one time when it burst into flames and it could have started a forest fire. <laughs> and so I, you know, it's being humble and saying, it doesn't matter what my job is. If it helps the production at this point in time, I'll do it. And I did it with a smile on my face, thinking about the guy who was standing at the end of the road when I was a director. That's a great mentality to have for sure. 
Um, as we start to wrap up here, I, I did have uh, one more question to ask you. I, I was looking at a lot of your different projects, and they've won numerous awards from different festivals around the world. How important are film festivals to you, and should current filmmakers? I know COVID changed a lot with you know it shut a lot of festivals down, but now with things ramping back up, do you still consider festivals to be important? Um, well, I mean, the, 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 the main thing is, you know, you want to show your film. I mean, I, I look at festivals that have live screenings, so there's an opportunity for people to see it. I mean, if you can attend a festival, you never know who you might meet, which is, which is, which is great. And I've met some great people at festivals to the point where I've actually flown them in to, to, to work with them as uh, actors and as crew um, because I met them at a film festival, uh, been approached by at film festivals about people wanting to distribute my stuff. So there can be tremendous value. Um, obviously it's a matter of researching the festival to make sure they're legit and they, 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 that there's a value to it, you know, look at their website and I've actually reached it to some, I've actually reached out to some people who've been selected to, to see what it's like. And is it a good festival to go to? Is, is there an opportunity to meet people that you might be able to, uh, to, to, um, uh, you know, network with or, or whatever. And, you know, and sometimes those seeds grow and sometimes they don't, but it's always, you never know who's, who's, who's there. Um, so they, they're, they're worth it for that. I found after COVID the, the cost of travel and flights and hotels has just gone up so dramatically. It's been hard for me to get to, 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 to many festivals. I will say like, for example, I, I know you were talking in a, your thing about the Oscars and about, you know, the, the value of, you know, the Oscars and, you know, you know, you know what, what's the value of awards. It's funny when I think of like nominations and awards, because I used to always tell people, yeah, you know, I've been, my films have been selected by hundreds of festivals. I've won hundreds of awards and nominations with, for lots of shorts over the years and my feature. And I, it's nice to get the awards. Um, obviously i mean if you if, if if the academy wanted to give me an oscar i wouldn't return it down i mean i wouldn't you know what i mean i wouldn't be do marlon brando it and return it um um but it is a i call it a bullshit economy meaning it's it's I, how do you a bunch of films go in and somebody goes i like this one more it, it's how do you qualify whether what's better than another thing and and so um it's nice to get them but you know for example, my 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 most recent film, which is on the market right now, circuit right now, is uh, called um, Wicked Plans. You know, I, I submit to F, uh, one festival and I win Best of the Festival. I submit to another one, I get rejected even before it even gets considered. There's a lot of dynamics as to why you get in, why you don't. Um, it it, it a, a lot of times is down to a festival has three days to screen films. They only have so many. Um, screens that they can show it on. They get a thousand entries. Even if your film is good, you might not get in. Um, so you, you know, you take with a grain of salt, uh, whether you get in or not. And if you win or not, I mean, I've, I've won at festivals where I just submitted and I thought, eh, whatever. And then I win and other festivals I wanted to get into. I don't. And uh, you never know, right. You never know what, what's, what's going to happen, but going, I always, one of the things I always try to do is um, I do engage with them. So I follow when I get in, I'm following their social media, I'm liking their posts, I'm sharing stuff out, I'm retweeting and re-Instagramming um, my screening times for 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 folks and, and trying to be as engaged as possible, tuning into some of their live streaming events if they have them. 
uh, in going. I mean, if, if you can go and get to one of some of these these events, I know you've done. Um, like was it uh, Pence Pensacon or whatever? You you've done some of the I you know some of those. Um, uh, we my films do really well in the you know, sort of the Comic Coni kind of events, right? The uh, the they it, it's it, it's the I don't do well at the these bigger festivals where they're, where they're looking for a really gritty, hard edged human story that is whatever minor. They're good in fluff entertainment. I mean, it's just a good laugh and 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 whatever. So I seem to do well at, at the genre festivals. Uh, but yeah, if you can if you can go to them and meet people, that's that's the way to do it. Absolutely. No, I I totally agree. Um, do you have a website or social media that you'd like to plug so the viewers and listeners can follow you? Oh, yeah, by all means. Uh, just my name, LeeChambers.com. I was smart enough to become a .com years ago where I update all sorts of stuff. There's a bunch of short films that are on there and uh, and some details about some of the screenwriting projects and uh, and, and whatnot. And, uh, and I always, you know, whether – one of the things I always do on a podcast, I always say, if Denzel Washington's listening, get in touch with me. <laughs> And I'll, and I'll and I'll add Eric Roberts in there if he happens to tune in, you know. So, yeah, we all want to work with good people in the industry, whether it's in front of the camera or behind the camera. And uh, uh, yeah, it's been it's been it's been great sharing even some of these stories. I'm just from, and I haven't really talked about them for a, a long time. But um, when you when you've when you've done enough stuff over the years, you you collect a lot of great stories that you may not realize are great inspiration for down the road, like getting stuck in the woods with a burning lamp, uh, light, um, you know, doesn't seem like it's the sexiest story to tell about the film industry. But if you're in this thing long enough, everyone will have one of these crazy stories. Remember that time when, and, uh, and if you can grow from it and learn from it and become a better filmmaker, um, by at the end of it, then, uh, then you're in the business you should be in. Absolutely. And, and there's so many things that I don't think we even scratch the surface on. So if it's good with you, I, I would love to have you back on soon for maybe a part two, because we haven't even talked about script writing. Oh, yeah. And that's what I've been, you know, a lot of, the, you know, script writing is great because uh, when COVID hit, I had uh, the biggest burst of screenwriting stuff uh, uh you know that i ever had you know certainly suddenly have a lot of time to to busy be busy writing and and i got some screenwriting started actually getting paid for it which was uh, which was awesome. which was fantastic that uh you can kind of you know someone appreciates your skill and the great thing about screenwriting is you don't need to raise a million dollars to do it right so i spent six years trying to make my pineville heist basically begging boring stealing getting shut down from all the funding agencies in Canada to make it because, you know, nobody trusts you until you've made something. And how do you make something until you have the money? And so it's, a, you know, fi finding the money to make films is a pain in the ass. Um, even here in Canada, where we have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of opportunities from grants and, and, and support and, and whatnot. And a lot of stuff that you, a lot of stuff that Americans see is actually made in Canada. You know, a lot, they don't realize it, right. That a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of content because they come up and get their, 30 cents on the dollar because the Canadian dollars cheaper and then they get another 30% in tax tax breaks. So um, we kind of steal a lot of jobs up this way, but screenwriting is, is great because you have an opportunity to create a whole new world and put words into, into an, a character's mouth 
um, and then backspace and change it and put something else in their mouth and you can play around with it and role play it and and spend time developing this you know whole new world without uh, have needing anything other than you know final draft or a screenwriting program or if you know a pencil and paper and a and a notepad you know you can you can you can you can do you can be you can learn and and create uh, from that I'd love to come back and chat about that for sure absolutely. Well, Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to have this wonderful chat. It was great. Thank you very much. Thank you once again to Lee Chambers for that awesome conversation about directing and filmmaking. As we said, we'll definitely have him back on to discuss screenwriting and do more of a deep dive into some of his shorts as well as his feature film sometime in the next coming week. So be on the lookout for that episode and be sure to check out his website, LeeChambers.com. For next week, I'll be chatting with camera operator Steve Matzinger, who has worked on shows such as Westworld, Ray Donovan, and many others. And it's not very often that I have cinematographers or those who work directly with cameras on the podcast. So that's going to be a really fun discussion. Be sure to come back next week for that fun episode. But until then, you can check out linktree.com slash ddiamondpodcast if you want to subscribe to the show. You can find links to the YouTube channel as well as all forms of social media for the show. Again, linktree.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And if you could, please leave a review for the podcast. It's very it's very important, actually, because the more reviews and ratings that I get, the more visible the show becomes for those who are searching for podcasts. In this case, you know, interview-based shows, um, if I get more reviews and people search interview podcast. This will be one of the first to pop up. So uh, it's really important that I get more reviews. I haven't gotten any uh, since 2020, actually. So um, if you could just leave a, rev a review and rating, that would be very much appreciated. But that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again to Lee Chambers. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Monday for another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. Mm -hmm.